Welcome to Mo Chat, the podcast, a podcast about women stepping out of their comfort zone to live life on their terms. What if you truly believe you have the ability to create the life you want? What if you decide to live life out of the box? And what if you decide to ignore the naysayers and take bold steps to build your vision? Now, what would that vision look like? Every episode, we chat with women on the journey of stepping out of their comfort zone and living life on their terms. Now I'm your host, Mo Jones. Hello, today we are talking to E.B. Zoboy. Welcome to Mo Chats. E.B. is a Haitian American author of young adult fiction. She is best known for her young adult novel, American Street, which was a finalist for the National Book Award in the Young Adult Literature in 2017. Welcome, E.B. Thank you, Mo. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you can join me, and I'm really excited for this conversation because, of course, we have our Haitian connection, so I feel like E.B. is like my Haitian sister, and we get each other on that Haitian level. Yes. Yeah. And I'm particularly excited for E.B.'s story because E.B. has decided to, particularly as Haitian, children of Haitian parents, being Haitian American immigrants, we understand what that upbringing comes with and what that life comes with. And following your passion and following your heart's desire takes a lot within yourself to be able to do that. So I'm excited for E.B. to share her story with us. Thank you for having me. All right. This is wonderful. I'm really excited. Oh, good. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Tell us how long you've been an author. I've been published, professionally published, since 2004, so that's 16 years. Yeah, my first check that I got for a short story was 16 years ago. That's fantastic. So you have definitely a lot of years and a lot of experience and a lot of wisdom to share with our listeners who are thinking of stepping out of their comfort zone or even taking the path to become an author. I got to say this. You had texted me for my, the pronunciation of my last name. Mm-hmm. And uh, I am Haitian, but Zoboy is not a Haitian last name. <laughs> a lot of people think that that it's Zobois, as in Dubois, but it's my husband's Liberian name, and it's pronounced Zoboy. So I always like to let people know that Zoboy is not Haitian, and E.B. is not Haitian either. We may or may not get to that, but okay. it is my Liberian, my husband's Liberian last name, from the Loma people of Liberia. I'm glad you brought that up, and you're able to share that Tell us a little bit about the meaning and significance behind your name. So when I first started writing, I've been published since I was 19, um, writing for my college's newspaper, Hunter College. I transferred from Hofstra University in Long Island and moved on to Hunter College. And Hunter College is where I found my voice and my passion So at that time, I was also writing poetry. I was competing in slam poetry, just like everybody else my age at that time. And it seemed like everybody had a pseudonym. Nobody was using their names um, when they went on stage and to write their names on the the list uh, for open mic night. 
So I worked at a bookstore and I wanted to have a pseudonym and I found an African names baby book. <laughs> and I didn't want to just pick up, pick any name. I liked my name, which is Pascal Finatop. It's a very French name. I was learning a lot about my culture and my history and African culture. And the name Pascal was just not fitting me anymore in my worldview. And I knew a lot of people who had legally changed their names, including three of my professors. So I found the translation, a, a loose translation for Pascal. Pascal means Easter, like in Paschal Nativity. And I found a Yoruba word that kind of means rebirth or not rebirth, but birth. So Ibi means to give birth, to birth something. And at that time, I had used the word for writer, which was Akowe. But eventually, when I met my husband, I found out he was half African. And he didn't have the last name Zoboy either. His last name was something very English. And he told me that he always wanted to drop that English name, Scott, because he knew the story of how his grandfather got the name Scott. And that was when missionaries arrived in Liberia and part of education for teenage boys was that they would be stripped away of their African names and be given European names. But a lot of Liberians kept their family name and their tribal name as their middle name. So he was always given the tribal name and his middle name and his family name. So it was a boy is more like the family legacy name and eventually he dropped it and reclaims a boy and i was like give me your african name i want it <laughs> you wanted it that is truly a beautiful right. and meaningful story and you really epitomize the importance of being able to live true to who you are and give yourself a rebirth of a name so to speak tell us about the kind of books you write so I write for children, ages 5 to 18, um, 18, 17, 18 year olds are still uh, children, high school seniors are still children, and my characters are 12 to 16, but I have picture books coming out too. So I write for young people and black children are my characters, but my books are for everyone. I, I can't say that I have one particular writing style because I approach my career like a journalist. When a story idea comes, when an opportunity to, to tell a kind of story comes, I take it immediately. So American Street is it's a Haitian story, but it's about Detroit and Americanization and poverty and violence. Pride is a retelling of Pride and Prejudice set in my old neighborhood, Bushwick, Brooklyn. I have an anthology and a book for 12-year-old quirky girls. And I have a book coming out with Exonerated Five member Yusuf Salam, who I met in college. So it's all over the map. <laughs> That's fantastic, though. You've really crafted yourself as a young adult author. And some way or somehow you were led to becoming a young adult author. Now, did you just choose this or was it something you were drawn to or you connect, really connected with the young adult uh, population? This was something, I always like to tell magical stories. I love folklore and mythology. 
And when I first started writing, I wanted to write a story about Haitian folklore, but with a, a Haitian American girl set in Brooklyn. I never told, sold that story, but that's how I first started writing. I was intrigued by the level of magic that is in our culture, yes. magic realism. And, and I knew the best way to tell those stories was through children books. Because at that time, when I started writing, Harry Potter was a big thing. So I wanted to do Harry Potter, but with a Haitian girl in all Haitian mythology. Unfortunately, when I first started sending that story out, people didn't know what to do with it because people only understood Haitian culture through the lens of voodoo and corruption, political corruption. That's a story I'm waiting to read. So I'm voting for that one to be officially published at some point. But that leads me to the next part. In a way, you have had to completely step out of your comfort zone. So you had a vision to start with a certain type of book. It led you down the, the young adult genre. But even with that, you became an author on your own terms. Let's get a little bit more background, because I think it's always important as women trying to do that thing that calls them that sometimes you have to start somewhere or sometimes you have to have a beginning maybe in a whole other different setting. But I'm a big believer that your path is set for you and allows you to lead you to where you need to keep going. So what did you right. do before you became an author? I was working as a part-time educator, arts educator. I can't even say that because 16 years, I was still young. I was still in my early 20s working on my writing. So every job that I've had was centered around creative writing or teaching creative writing to young people. But before that, I was, I think the longest full-time job I ever had was as a newspaper editor. So you definitely mm -hmm. got your start in the paper arena, in the journalist yes. arena. Jur yeah, sure. I wanted to be a journalist. So did you always know you wanted to be an author? Or was there a particular yes. moment? <laughs> it was either I wanted to be a journalist or our, an our author. The author came, the author part of it came right after realizing, you know what, I don't want to be a journalist. I want to write books. You want to write books. That was books. a crazy, yeah, that's a, just a really big idea to have when you're the daughter of immigrants. <laughs> Which is why I think this is so huge because writing books and being an author is not always seen as a feasible career. Yet somehow you trusted that instinct within yourself that I'm going to become a writer. Now, you, did you anticipate getting paid for your writing? Did you anticipate that I'm going to write at all costs and the money will come? Or was your goal was I'm going to write, I'm going to become a paid author, and you made that your goal? When I made that decision, it wasn't just out of the blue. It was because of Edward Janticat. Edwin Stancy, I made that decision after her book was chosen for Oprah's Book Club. Fantastic. And I, and I had discovered her book only months before that without knowing that it was going to be chosen. And I was like, wow, are you serious? Her book, Breath Eyes Memory, starts with a small town in Haiti called Damarie, near Jérémy. And that's where my mother was born. And to realize and to find out that something so culturally specific was getting seen 
and in such a huge platform was life-changing for me. And that is why representation matters. You had the opportunity to see someone who looked like you and possibly had some same cultural experiences that you did. And she Mm -hmm. was writing and not only was she writing, she was thriving in her writing and connecting it to her own cultural experience. And then she gets chosen for Oprah's book club. That's Mm -hmm. so important and so needed. I would imagine that as you became a writer, actually, I don't know. Did you have any trepidations? Did you have any fears? The fear was around not being able to support myself financially. That's legitimate. You want to get paid for your work. And it didn't always make sense. It didn't, sometimes it just made absolutely no sense. But my husband, I married another artist and he completely supported my decisions. In each step of the way, there were little things that let me know that this is I should be doing this. I would be successful like if I kept at it. And it didn't make sense, but I did it anyway. <laughs> so you trusted yourself and you trusted to follow the signs. That's exactly and, what happened. And I think that's important as anyone who decides to step out of their comfort zone or do that thing that calls them or do something completely outside of the box. We don't always know how it's going to unfold but trusting yourself and trusting the process really does allow the path to open for you. And you may not always have it figured it out. You may not always have it completely figured out as you go, but one step just leads to the next step and then that leads to the next step. And then it's completely unraveling itself beautifully right in front of you. That's exactly what happens. Now we know on any journey, It's not Mm -hmm. always cake and roses. We know that there are ups and downs. We know that there are challenges. And I'm a big believer and a big embracer now. I wouldn't say always, but now I'm a big embracer of challenges and the darkness and the tough times because I have learned on my journey that it is in those times that I am learning and growing the most and figuring out who I am, and what this journey is teaching me. So I embrace the challenges. Although, don't get me wrong, there are times they are hard and I'm crying and I'm like, what did I just do? And you're making mistakes as you go along. So tell us, what are some of the challenges you face as an author trying to really promote your work? Oh, I think the first challenge is financial. Um, It's not lucrative in the very beginning. It's uh, something that requires lots of investment, meaning I paid for a master's degree in fine arts or creative writing without knowing that I'd be able to have a salary and it, right. you don't get a salary. This is a business that's not diverse at all. So there were about 3,000 children's books published last year, and I think only 3 or 4% were about Black children. Wow. Maybe I want to say five. I'll be a little more generous. And the percentage of Black people who are actually writing those books are even lower. So it seems like there are a lot of Black books, but comparatively speaking, it's a small, it's a drop in the bucket. It's not a lot at all. So you were entering a tough arena. Yeah, very tough. Where representation of Black authors or Black characters and Black books was minimal comparative Mm -hmm. to white authors, you had to take some financial risk 
-hmm. by paying for a master's that you may not know that you did not know was going to guarantee payback and you had to go ahead and trust that your words and your writing deserved to be part of this arena And and being an immigrant, too. (laughs) Exactly. And being an immigrant, because that's really key, because being an immigrant, you are operating or navigating, I should say, in a different manner and a different lens that a non-immigrant might not. A a non-immigrant person has an awareness or understanding or people or connections to help guide them to where they need to be. And as an immigrant, you're figuring this out sometimes on your own, but not always knowing the ins and the outs of the business along the way. So what would you say you learned from these challenges? I don't think I've learned from it. I think I pushed through. I pushed through. And they were never, I don't know why, but they were never obstacles. No, wait, yo, uh, the money was an obstacle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Money was an obstacle. But I just had, I think when you're an artist, there's a way that you can envision a future that has not yet happened yet. So I think that's part of being an artist. There, there's less fear because you can envision your future. You create the future that you want. And then with each thing that you create, you are closer to that vision. I like so, that you said that, envisioning. Right. Yeah, envisioning future. I write, I make up stories. So I made up the life that I wanted to live. And interestingly enough, I can say now that it worked. <laughs> and that's, I'm, I, I want to stay on that part for a little bit because I think that's really important. I think one thing I have learned as I've done a lot of this mindset work and mindset principles to follow my own vision and my life plan, I think that's so important for people to hear because envisioning or having a vision for how you want that life to unfold is really important. Almost you say fake it till you make it type of thing, but have a vision. You have something you want to accomplish. It is crucial that you envision that life exactly how you want it to help you stay on track and help you bring it to fruition. That's mm-hmm. one part of it. And then I would say the other part of it is to, for us to stop telling those stories, those internal stories that our little mind plays games on us that we're not good enough and we're not capable. We have to replace the internal dialogue with the real vision. Because the internal dialogue, those are not, that's not the real story. That's the fear. That's the worry. That's the anxiety. That's the, I'm Mm -hmm. not good enough story. And we really have to replace it with a vision of what is it that we really want and what does this dream look like? So I'm a big believer of envisioning, creating vision boards, describing and writing what that goal looks like and then feeling it with every ounce of your body at all times so that's my little nugget today for our listeners (laughs) do that vision board and keep envisioning at all times so we know that there we talked about some of the challenges we got to talk about the wins and the successes too i think sometimes we forget to give ourselves credit for the work and say i did this i know you've 
published some amazing books. Tell us how many books have you published and what are you most proud of? I will be publishing my fifth, actually, my sixth book. Woo, um, go you. Thank you. I think I am most proudest of the book that's coming up in a couple of months because it is a collaboration that started in college. I just happened to meet, so I, okay, going back, we both grew up in New York. I grew up in New York City. You were in Long Island, but that's very close to New York City. Absolutely. So I grew up with, there was a lot of racial violence happening in New York City when I was growing up. And I was a news junkie. I was five, six, seven, all the way up through now, um, watching the news. I loved watching the news as a little girl, <laughs> but it scared me. It scared mm. me and it helped me become the thinker that I am today. I remember so many of those news stories going back to grade school, Bernard Getz and the subway vigilante I remember the Tawana Brawley case. I would always uh -huh. see Al Sharpton on the news. And I watched a lot of news because when I was in grade school, Haiti was on the news all the time. I remember watching the ousting of Jean-Claude Duvalier on TV when I was in the fourth grade. I remember and, that as well. And it was such a big moment in my childhood because my mother, their people would always come to our apartment and that's all they would talk about. And it was just, I'd just sit there as a little girl and listen to political debates. You know how Haitians can get very passionate about their politics. They sure can. <laughs> and that was storytelling for me. Storytelling was all these Haitians talking about politics and Haiti. And then I would watch it on the news and I remember just getting really realizing what is news? Is that the truth that they're saying about my country? But then I'd hear my family say something different. So it was just this moment of being awakened to truth telling and storytelling and the two uh -huh. different forms and how you arrive at a certain understanding of a people and a culture. So all of that framed how I really saw you know, the news. And after that, there was Michael Griffith, Yousef Hawkins, the Central Park Five, Jogger Case. There was Rodney King when I was in high school and college. There was, and then I remember Anita Hill watching that. I remember the teacher stopped the class so we could watch the Anita Hill trial um, with Clarence Thomas. And then in college, it was Amadou Diallo. And remember Abner Louima? Yes, I remember that. That was the first real protest I attended as a college um, student. Uh, so all of this shaped my experience. So when I met Youssef, it was, I wanted to tell his story in the newspaper. I remember your story. All these shaped my consciousness as a little girl in New York City. And I never got to tell his story, but I ran into him again as an author three years ago. And he had not told this story. And this was at a time around the time when Trayvon Martin, Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown and all the other like unfortunate yeah. incidents were part of the conversation. And I wanted to scream, this was like happening in New York City since I was a little girl. And 
when Trump was president, when I ran into him again. And how, I was like, how did, could this be? Because I remember him as a person, as a New York City uh, real estate mogul. So I'm proud of this book because all those things led to this one particular moment. It wasn't just a book that like, oh, I have an idea for the story. Or I ran into him without knowing him. Let's write this book together. It's a series of events that led up to that moment. So I think writing, if you look at writing from a certain vantage point, it's not always coming from the author and whatever ideas they have in their minds. It's about responding to uh, a cultural zeitgeist, a cultural moment. It's responding to something that needs to be told at that time. Well, it sounds like in a way this book was really guided, right? Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. guided and curated That's to, a great way to say it, yeah. To, mm-hmm. Yeah, to bring you and Yusuf together to write this special story that is so needed and so relevant at this time and period that we're at exactly in. Tell us the title of the book. It's called Punching the Air, and it comes out <clears throat> September 1st. Punching the Air by Ibi yes. Zoboy, September 1st. Yes, Ibi Zoboy and Yusef Salam. As this journey continues, did you ever imagine that this would be the life that you would be? Did I imagine? I wished it. Yeah, I did, or else I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have kept going. I hoped for it. Sometimes we have the dream and then the universe responds in even more ways than we possibly imagined. And it lets us know that we are on the right track and we are finally heeding the call that's been given to us. It sounds like you have done your thing all along this way and you continue to do your thing. Now, there is another piece of it besides the writer piece of it and the content piece and the creation and creativity aspect of it. You would say there's also a business side to being an author, right? Yes. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about that because I think it's important for everyone to understand that with every call that you have or every business that you bring to the table, sometimes you're doing a certain work, a business or administrative aspect to it, along with the actual work itself. And sometimes the two go hand in order for it to grow and come to fruition, would you say? Yes. And I don't, I know very little about that. Okay. <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And that's, okay. That's important. Right. That's really important I to could, reiterate. I could get from help. Yeah. I could, this is an aspect where I probably should get some help. And that is an important thing um, to note that in pursuing our dreams, sometimes we forget that there's the management part of it. There's, um, I spend a lot of time thinking about story and it's sometimes hard to switch gears and think about business too. That is very challenging for me. And this is where I have an agent and a marketing team with my publisher and a publicist team. But ultimately the personal finance stuff is something I'm still working on because I have a creative mind. <laughs> I can't envision, envision <laughs> like organization, dream into existence. And that's where it's important to know where your strengths lie. You can right. do content, you can do creativity, but there may be another piece where it comes to connecting with another person or doing the numbers or doing a website or putting something that needs to be promoted a certain way, that you can't do that on your own. And that's where we have to remind ourselves, it's okay to seek out help. It's okay to know your lane. I know, (laughs) even for me, when I started 
um, my blog, I had to get help for designing a website. I know right. nothing tech related. And mm-hmm. I tried and I could either sit there and get frustrated and give it all up. Or I can take that chance and say, I'm going to outsource and get someone to help me in designing this website. So that's really important for people to know you may, you are not going to know everything and that is okay. And asking for help is key. And I actually think it's really paramount to being successful because yes. we, yeah. we have to ask for help. We, we don't always do it alone and we have to trust. I think sometimes we are afraid to ask for help or we don't ask for help because either we think we may not be looked at as the real deal or we might not, we may be looked at as not knowing everything or we might not be looked at as some form of judgment. We tell ourselves this silly story, but at really in reality, asking for help is one of the biggest things that we can do because you don't know what asking for help can lead to and how that can connect you to the next person or the next opportunity or the next way of doing things and just allowing you to really blossom and take that goal and dream in the direction that you really want to. So that's really important to remember. We, Although we have recently met each other, but I have had some of your books and read some of your books along the way. So I think it's really serendipitous in a way that we have connected and here I am I get the opportunity to have you do this podcast so again I always say I feel like the universe is always lining stuff up for us without even us knowing and I'm so grateful that you've been able to do this podcast with me tell the audience your website where they can go to check out more information about you and your work ebzaboy.net okay everyone that's ebzaboy.net I-B-I-Z-O-B-O-I dot net, E-B-Z-O-B-O-I dot net. So please go check out Ebi. You can learn more about her work. You can get learn more about her books and more about her writing and the amazing work that she is doing. I am so thrilled and honored that she got to share her voice and her experience with us. And I think two takeaways that I have chatting with Ebi that I think listeners can take away from this chat is envision the heck out of your life. Yeah, envision absolutely. the heck out of your life and trust that it will happen and come to fruition, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. Make that vision board, keep dreaming, add to it, see yourself and feel it every step of the way and truly believe that it will come to life and you'll be surprised how it all unfolds. Exactly. So Evie, I always end by this one question that I always ask my guests. You've come this far, you've gained so much experience. What would you tell your 25-year-old? I would tell my 25-year-old self to don't be so hard on herself. At 25, I was pregnant and had my first child and I poured everything into just raising children. So I would have told my 25-year-old self, take that time and go take care of you first. Wonderful advice. I love that. So from the wonderful Ibizo boy, Mm -hmm. don't be so hard on yourself. Right. Remember that. And not just at 25, but at 45 and 55 and 65, do not be so hard on yourself. And I always say, if we knew then what we knew now, Ibi. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think you have inspired our listeners and particularly those who may want to step out of their comfort zone and try and work on that goal and that whisper of becoming an author. I really enjoyed my chat with E.B. Zaboy today. 
and we had some really great takeaways from our chat. And three takeaways that I want to leave you with are one, have a vision. A vision allows you to set goals and have many goals to work towards that big goal. It allows you to see it and visualize what it is you want to work towards. It allows you to have something to put together and to have it come to fruition. By seeing it, thinking it, and feeling it, it is starting to come to life. So have that vision. The next takeaway is you're not going to know everything. And that's okay. That is perfectly okay. Embrace what you do and do it well. Embrace what makes you different and shine that way. And if you don't know something, it brings me to my next point, the next takeaway, which is ask for help. Ask for help. That's really important because you're really not going to know everything. And there are going to be times you are going to need to reach out to other people to help you on your journey and help you get to where you need to go. And asking for help will be one of those ways that you will be so glad you did. This is not about being a martyr. This is not about perfection. It's really about using your resources to help you navigate this path and help you get to your ultimate goal. So there you have it. Have a vision. You're not going to know everything and ask for help. for joining us on another episode of Mo Chats. Check us out at www.molifeblog.com. You can also check us out on Instagram at molifeblog. And remember, keep living life while constantly straightening out your crown.